This is Packer and Durham on ACCN and Sirius XM Channel 371. Mr. Durham, hope you had a good Father's Day weekend, all that good stuff. How are we doing? I'm great, Pack. Same to you. I uh, hope things worked out. Uh, the, uh, the weekend, of course, with the College World Series and Notre Dame's great win against Texas on Friday night. And the Irish took a tumble yesterday, uh, last night against Oklahoma, who looked great with Kate Horton on the mound. But uh, we'll get to all that and more. we got a busy, busy Monday show, a couple more two-a-days. And uh, at 9.30, David Hale is going to be here. I'll just give you this quick. David Hale's going to be here after spending three days at the NIL Summit in Atlanta at the College Football Hall of Fame and some incredibly revealing um, insight into the world of name, image, and likeness through the eyes of the student-athletes themselves. And he's written about it and sat in the room and watched these NIL Summit presentations take place. And I think at 9.30 this morning, you'll get a lot out of what David Hale has to say to us. Well, we at least hope so. I mean, the guy spent three days in Atlanta. Uh, did you invite him over to the house? I mean, did you any southern hospitality? I mean, goodness gracious. Pack. Pack. Way too hot last week to socialize with anybody. You kidding me? It was 100,000 degrees. It was like walking on the face of the sun. Plus, by the time Hale gets out here and fights traffic, he could get back to Charlotte quicker. You know that. All right. Well, we'll get to David Hale. But you mentioned the two-a-days. It's all about the Canes and the Pack. Today mm-hmm. on the show, a little Miami NC State love affair. Yeah, give you a little two days, a little something to get together with. And by the way, what are we a month away from the ACC kickoff here in the Queen City? So uh, uh, it's about ready to get there. A man. month away from today. That's what I figured. One month from today. But today, a lot mm-hmm. about NC State and a lot about Miami. And those are two teams, by the way, that a lot of folks believe will meet for the ACC football championship in the Queen City in the mm-hmm. first weekend in December. We will see. Yeah, so it uh, should be interesting. But uh, Father's Day and Juneteenth, of course, being celebrated over the weekend as well. The uh, federal holiday is today, uh, but we remember those whose sacrifices, obviously, for freedom occurred in the African-American community as well on this date. Um, I am uh, I, I'm after watching Notre Dame on Friday night. First of all, we got to double check something here. Did Lance show up to work today? Back row, Lance. Lance on the back row. Back row Lance, hook him Lance, hook him Lance. Lance showed up, according to Angela Travato, this morning. Uh, unlike Lance Texas went baseball. to and barbecue. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. The team that was, as we heard last week, the favorite to win the College World Series does not even win a single game and gets eliminated by their arch rival. Um, Wes, we've harped on this for the last couple of weeks as we do on a deeper dive into to Omaha that – you know, the, the mm-hmm. greatest team in the history of baseball was sitting at home, Tennessee. Uh, they couldn't get out of their own regional, uh, super regional. And here's Texas now. Hey, Tag, you're it. You're the favorite. They don't even win a game. Right. I, it is a hard tournament to win. And uh, Notre Dame looked awfully good mm-hmm. Friday night. Last night, quite frankly, uh, they just got beat by better pitching. I mean, and Oklahoma did eight. This is exactly what Oklahoma pulled on Virginia Tech and Blacksburg. And the Super Regional, they just shut them down, man. They just said, hey, we're going to quiet the yeah. bats and game, set, match. So the Sooners move on to the uh, winner's bracket. And, of course, Notre Dame, despite losing yesterday, they will get Texas A&M tomorrow afternoon in a true loser-leave-town match. Notre Dame wins. They have to play Oklahoma and beat them twice. Notre Dame loses. They're heading back to South Bend. And the ACC's blemish in Omaha will continue uh, but we'll see how that plays out. But last night, quite frankly, Oklahoma's pitching was just simply too good for Notre Dame. Yeah, and and Pac, here's the thing, right? We said this going into the Supers. Oklahoma went into the Super Regionals with the highest ERA of any team of the remaining 16. And, yeah, they got into one slugfest in Blacksburg. But the reality of it is, is that come Super Regional time, Oklahoma's pitching has been really, really good. And uh, credit to Skip Johnson and the Sooners here. I mean, the, the Horton kid last night was terrific. Awesome. Uh, what, Notre Dame only had two hits through five innings, something like that. And you, you start looking around thinking, okay, well, maybe Oklahoma's the one, the next favorite to win the College World Series. Now that Tennessee was beating Supers and Texas is two and done, and maybe nobody wants to be tagged the favorite to win the College World Series, to be honest, last night. 
Well, I don't think there is a favorite. I think that's the point. I mean, Stanford is the number two overall national seed, and you know they got smoked in their first game, and they're playing for their lives today. So it's baseball, man. You just simply don't know. And if you get hot at the right time, you can do some magical stuff. And Oklahoma seems to be that way. They eliminate the Florida Gators in Gainesville to get mm-hmm. to Blacksburg. And, I mean, I really like Virginia Tech's chances against the Sooners and Hey, Oklahoma held them to two hits when they eliminated uh, the Hokies yeah. in Blacksburg. And then last night, they really put a number on Notre Dame's bats. And that was a game that uh, they were completely in control from the get-go. So, for Notre Dame, hey, you bounce back. Hopefully, you get ready to rock and roll against Texas A&M. And again, the Aggies had a big win knocking off Texas and eliminating their arch rivals. But that is baseball. So, you know, mm-hmm. you know boys, it's a lot easier than when you're in the winter side, right? When you know, Again, like if you're Oklahoma yep. – you can reset your pitching lineup. You get to chill out. You put your feet up. You watch everybody battle like crazy. And you catch everybody later in the week. That's why that game last night was so important. But Notre Dame's still alive despite the loss last night. But tomorrow afternoon, like I said, is a true loser-to-leave-town match in Omaha when they take on Texas A&M. Yeah, David Lamana, by the way, home run last night for Notre Dame continues to just be uh, a threat for uh, for Link Jarrett. Uh, Carter Putz, a uh, Four hits. He's tied the note for the most by Notre Dame player in the World Series. Uh, Jim Morris in 1957 had four hits uh, against Colorado State. Uh, the rest of the team yesterday was three for 30. Holy cow. So, and, and compare that to the hot start they got off to on Friday night against Texas. Um, when you, you start to think about where they were there, um, you just got off to two, three runs early, got the home run early, uh, that kind of thing, and it just changes the dynamic, and it goes back to the old saying, Pac, if you can get off to a hot start in any one of these games, I just think it changes the temperament. Oklahoma, I think, got two in the third last night to break the scoring open. Next thing you know, uh, they've got a big lead, and, and Notre Dame's playing uphill the rest of the way last night. Well, give me good pitching all the time. I mean, I don't care if we're talking about a high school yep. game, college That's World right. Series, Major League Baseball, softball. I know everybody's been going yard and people have been raking all year. But, you know, when you get down to pressure situations, that dude on the mound, if you got an ace, brother, mm. you can be a problem. And um, I, you saw yep. that last night if you're Notre Dame. Uh, but you know what's been kind of surprising so far, Wes? We really haven't had mm. drama yet. In Omaha. And that normally hmm. is a deal that if you've watched this tournament at all over the years, you get incredible drama. Now, maybe it will build to a crescendo and we'll get that later in the week and possibly in the next week. Knock on wood. If the ACC team's still in there, we'll talk about it. Um, but so far, the games have kind of been, you know what? Heisman pose. You know, we're just going to push you away and yep. somebody's got a comfortable three, four, five, six run lead, even worse in some games. Uh, but we really haven't had mm-hmm. the high-stakes drama yet. Now, I know it's still early. This thing got started on Friday night. We're only on a Monday. Uh, but I expect the games to get tighter as we go along. But, um, again, you got a loser-leave-town match today with Stanford and Auburn. Notre Dame tomorrow, same deal with A&M. So we'll see where it goes. But we'll talk about it a bunch yeah. today and tomorrow. And, obviously, whatever happens, we'll discuss that on Wednesday as well. Well, and here's the other uh, note for you that uh, you start looking around that ballpark and pack, doesn't matter the game that's being played, seemingly almost every seat's full, isn't it? It's just an amazing environment awesome. for baseball. And that's that's why we, we talked about it last week leading up to Friday's first games. You start to just look around that ballpark and the environment they've created in Omaha is really second to none for that event. It just is incredible to see at the World Series. It's my favorite NCAA tournament. And uh, for anybody that's Mm -hmm. been out there, like I said, I've never been a soul that's experienced it that came back and went, eh, it's okay. No, I mean, it's awesome. And uh, the food's great, people's great. uh, And the games normally are tremendous, regardless if you got a rooting interest or not. And that's the other thing, cool thing about it, Wes. It's the kind of event Mm -hmm. you could go to even if you don't like baseball, you could go and have a great time. I, I've I kind of kid around with people before who've never been to Augusta for the Masters. You may not know the difference between a Titleist or a six iron, and you could go to Augusta National <laughs> for a day and not even know, uh, you know, Will Zalatoris from Curtis Strange and walk around the grounds and have a day and walk out and go, man, that was one of the best days yeah. of my life. I mean, it's one of those kind of deals. And to me, Omaha and baseball – 
and going to that event kind of feel like the same thing. You don't even have to be a baseball fan. You don't have to know the name of a player or a team, and you could still go to the right. event, go to the city, and have a great, great time. It's it's that cool of an event. Yeah, no question about it. And, of course, the hospitality and, and all that stuff is just uh, – is top shelf stuff and good to see our group from ACC Network there on Friday night to uh, handle the post game for you. Kelsey Riggs and Mike Rooney and Danny Graves had you covered following Notre Dame's win against Texas, and uh, there'll be more reporting coming from out in Omaha as the College World Series continues to unfold. Um, we got several little things here in this uh, in this first hour and uh, throughout the first half of the show, including the eight o'clock hour today. I know how we get to talking season in July, right? We kind of get the list season in June. Well, one list came out over the weekend that we're going to have in the 8 o'clock hour. Phil Steele has published his preseason All-ACC team. And I got to tell you, Pac, I am looking at all these. I saw uh, the Lindy's magazine the other day on the shelves when I went to the grocery store. Athlon is uh, already out with their preseason. And it is interesting to look at just the quarterbacks how have they staged the quarterbacks in the ACC? So we'll get to that in the, uh, in the mean, 8 o'clock hour Let me well. ask you a question, big man, since you're at the grocery mm-hmm. store or Barnes & Noble, whatever you're talking about. Uh, when you happen to uh, sample Lindy's magazine, uh, yes, I'm sir. sure you thumbed through it. Did you buy it or did you put it back on the rack? No, I didn't be, buy be it. Be honest. No, I just looked to see what – no, I didn't buy it. No, I didn't buy it. There's only one I buy a pack during the year. Phil Steele. I buy Phil Steele. So I, I, let me ask you something. How, how much time did you spend uh, perusing the Lindy's magazine? Was that a quick uh, glance or was that a, hey, I got yeah. a cup of coffee it's and one... put my feet up and uh, sit there and read the entire ACC section? No, 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 no. No, I was, at the, uh, I was at the Ingalls in Cartersville. They had it on the shelf, stopped, looked. And I look at one thing and one thing only this year. And now sometimes I'll look at the predicted order of finish just to see what a certain magazine is thinking. But remember, all these magazines go to press by late April. I mean, the week after spring games in is when these magazines go to press to hit shelves by June. Um, The only thing I look at this year almost exclusively is the quarterback order. What are they thinking on preseason all-ACC quarterback? Because I am curious about people who look at the league from a national side. And, yeah, I know they they contract people that follow ACC football, so I'm not exactly sure specifically who's creating the all-ACC team. Now, we know with Phil because Phil does everything. He talks to all the coaches. He, he goes through you know every FBS team. But I'm curious in the, in the way these magazines come out, Lindy's, Athlon, Packer and Durham's preseason magazine. I don't care. Whoever. How did they list the eight, the quarterback position in the ACC? And I, we'll talk about it at 8 o'clock because I think there is – I mean, there's one through four on Phil Steele's team, and four could be one. Two and three could be one, and one could be four, two, or three. I mean, it's that close to me in, uh, in the way you stack them up. And it literally is about taste or – potential or what they've accomplished and i think that's that's the reason i looked at it in the uh uh in the uh, store the other day well one of the most annoying things of the college football season is about ready to happen and that's when everybody <laughs> on twitter has a picture of phil's magazine and goes oh i really appreciate that and i will say it again he phil does phil still does a phenomenal job Right. Phenomenal yep. job. It's an incredible publication. But I will buy that. I don't want a freebie. I got to keep the guy in business. Nope. The only way he stays in business mm-hmm. is if you go out and purchase the magazine. And so, again, yep. this year I will purchase it and I will put a receipt on Twitter because I can't <laughs> believe all the cheap you know what's in the media that will sit there on their <laughs> stupid Twitter accounts and show a picture of Phil's magazine and go, hey, Phil, really appreciate the freebie. It's like, dude, come on, man. Reach in your pocket nah, for man. once, pull out a 20, I, and go buy the stinking magazine. That's it's it. It's not that hard yeah. for once, reach in your yeah. pocket and buy something. Please. Yeah. It's, keep and, the and man here's the employed. thing. Guy does a great job. He's been on with us, what, a half dozen times, I guess, three or four for sure. Uh, ESPN guy, college football podcast, all these things, and Phil does a great job. And you know what? 
reward the man for his effort, as they say. Right, Pac? Right. I mean, don't really say, well, if, I, yep. I, there's people on, on Twitter go, hey, Phil, I haven't received my free one. Hey, here's an idea. Here's an idea. Get off your butt, <laughs> get in your car, <laughs> drive down to the Ingalls and Cartersville and go buy you one. Oh, golly, Pete. Oh, my God. Unbelievable. All right. Sit tight. When we come back, uh, an ACC legend passed away over the weekend. We will remember one of the all-time greats in Atlantic Coast Conference history. Uh, And a guy who was with us last year uh, during the documentary, uh, the legendary Lenny Rosenbluth. We will remember him. We've got others. Uh, We'll also talk about Notre Dame and facing Texas A&M because, my goodness, Texas A&M sent the horns pack, and now it gets real. Lose, and the season is over. We will talk about that and more when we continue. Packer and Durham on a Monday. The Packer and Durham Podcast. This is the Packer and Durham Podcast. Packer and Durham. It is a Monday. Your lucky number is 650. 650, which is about uh, the amount of strokes at the West Durham Invitational this weekend when West Durham put on a clinic to win the U.S. Open. We'll get to that later in the program. Uh, man alive, I was got to tell you, Wes, I was kind of rooting for Will Zalatoris yesterday. I, that would have been a cool yeah. story for us, quite frankly, especially after Curtis mm-hmm. Strange on here last week said, hey, don't forget about that Will Zalatoris. He can play now. But, uh, boy, the U.S. Open yeah. is awesome. But we'll get to that later in the program. Yep. Um, of course, Notre Dame last night falls to Oklahoma. Final was 6-2 out in Omaha last night. Means the Irish are in a loser-leave-town game against Texas A&M. And that ball game is tomorrow afternoon, 2 o'clock on ESPN. And then, as Mark noted a moment ago, the winner of that game has to beat Oklahoma twice. Tall task. You see the Sooners already beat the Aggies 13-8 to on Friday afternoon before the Irish beat Texas 7-3. to Um Here's the thing about where Notre Dame is, and this is the advantage of that 2-0 and situation. When you get to 2-0, and it is unbelievable how strong a position that can be in the College World Series uh, pack because 2-0 and is just like, you know, now you got to find a way to kind of mess it up in some respects. You, you know, you continue doing what you're doing, you're in great shape to see the other team in the two out of three. Now, I contend – that when you win your bracket and you get to the two out of three for the championship, then things change all over again. Regardless of what you've done in that first step, it's a little bit like you were saying, if you win the you win the Supers, now you got to go win Omaha. But here it is, 26 of the last 31 have been won by a team that started 2-0. and oh. I Man, as you like to say, let that marinate a little bit, huh? Well, the cool thing about being 2-0 and oh is you get a day off. Right, I mean, you, you actually got a couple mm-hmm. days off, and um, you know the way Oklahoma is pitching and hitting, maybe that's not necessarily a great thing because they're smoking hot. Uh, but boy, just the ability to say, "Hey, listen, I don't have to play tomorrow." All the pressures on those two teams, right. being Notre Dame and A and M, knock yourselves out. In fact, we'd love it if you guys went seventeen innings and just used up your entire bullpen, and then we'll go. Whoever shows up, cool, we'll play on Wednesday. So it's a huge advantage to yeah. get to two and zero. Once you get to the College World Series. Again, that stat we just threw on you, 26 of the last 31 titles have been won by teams starting off 2-0. and It's a huge advantage, but it doesn't mean it's impossible. So, But for Notre Dame, the only thing that matters is beating Texas A&M tomorrow afternoon to set yourself up for a Wednesday showdown with Oklahoma Part 2. That's all you're asking for. Yeah. Yep, no doubt. And uh, Link Jarrett's team has played from behind before Yep. And uh, we'll have to find a way to get it done uh, tomorrow afternoon uh, against Texas A&M. Meanwhile, the Aggies got to be riding high, sending the horns packing, right? Is that the first time they've kind of been around baseball since all this uh, business with the SEC and everything started? I think so, right? Probably so. But, you know, for A&M, they'd lost nine consecutive College World Series games until they finally broke through and mm. – you know, snapped uh, Texas uh, in half. And, and like I said last week, I, I was rooting for Oklahoma and Notre Dame to win on Friday night. They both did. And the reason for it is because Texas and A&M, they simply don't like each other. I don't care what sport it is. It's 
it's much like uh, you know Duke, Carolina, NC State, North Carolina, uh, Clemson, Georgia. Well, I mean, well, you pick your favorite. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a thousand of them, um, but those two simply don't like each other. And A&M gets the bragging rights over Texas from a baseball perspective, but from an ACC standpoint, that's all we worry about on this network. It's all about Notre Dame, and now they got to bounce back and get ready for an A&M team tomorrow. So again, we know it's at stake. Yeah. It's a loser leave town match. Everything is at stake tomorrow afternoon. There you go. Irish and Aggies, 2 o'clock Eastern on ESPN. Uh, We told you going to break a moment ago, a sad note from the weekend. Uh, One of the all-time legends uh, of ACC basketball and one of the league's earliest superstars, Lenny Rosenbluth, passed away in Chapel Hill at the age of 89. He'd been battling some health issues for about the last nine months. But as we told you in in February – when the tournament documentary uh, was unveiled, uh, there was something special about the 57 Carolina team that kind of helped ignite around Everett Case's Wolfpack team and then Carolina's run to the national championship against Wilt Chamberlain. Uh, there was something special in the first four or five years of the ACC, and Rosenbluth was a big part of that. Uh, as we remember Lenny Rosenbluth with an excerpt from the tournament documentary. At the beginning of the season, coach calls me into the office and says, Lenny, this is your team. You are the captain. And I said, Coach, I'm not going to let you down. North Carolina, All-American Lenny Rosenbluth. He shoots the foul line and he hits. More marksmanship now by Lenny Rosenbluth. The star shot shooter is right on the play. By about the fourth or fifth game, I said, Coach, we're going to win them all. I said, don't worry about it. He looked, looked at me like I'm crazy. I said, coach, we're going to win them all. That season, Rosenbluth averaged 28 points a game. To this day, the Carolina record. He played with the New York Moxie. He would roam in that middle. They knew where to go, how to get it to him, and he could really shoot. Rosenbluth, dribble, shoot, and hit the... McGuire had three plays. Get the ball to Rosenbluth. Timeout, get the damn ball to Rosenbluth. Timeout, get the effing ball to Rosenbluth. There he goes. Rosenbluth, top one up again. He's hot. By the end of the regular season, Carolina still hadn't lost a game, and Rosenbluth had beaten out Wilt Chamberlain of Kansas for National Player of the Year. But the conference tournament was still ahead. They're an undefeated team, ranked number one in the nation, but they have to go in the ACC tournament and, and win it, or they go nowhere. Hmm. Dad, uh, you know, he was with us, as you mentioned, Wes, uh, when we talked about the tournament and so forth, and just a wonderful guy, great, great superstar player. And uh, when you got word this weekend, uh, it, was, it was, I mean, let's be honest, it was sad because this guy was a yeah. staple of the, of the ultimate foundation of ACC basketball. And, um, you know, it's just uh, – he's in a better place. I know that. But, man, it was cool having him on the show last year, telling stories. And uh, I, I remember when we got done interviewing him, uh, you and I, I think, both talked back and forth about, boy, guy's still sharp at 89. And, you know, he's still got his wits yep. about him and, and could tell a great story. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but just very, very sad uh, to hear the passing this weekend. And uh, just a wonderful guy. Incredible. Yeah, he. Uh, our, our thoughts and prayers are with uh, Diane, his wife, uh, their children. Uh, Lenny was a marvelous, on a personal note, just a terrific guy. Um, he and my dad were very good friends. Um, Lenny and his um, first wife, Pat, who unfortunately passed away about 15 years ago, uh, they moved back to Chapel Hill after he retired in South Florida. And he came back to Chapel Hill and a whole new generation of people found out about Lenny Rosenbluth, people who had, you know, maybe not realized the impact of the 1957 team. And I like to joke around with him. I'd say they put number 10 on the front row at the Smith Center for a reason. Not that Lenny sat on the front row of the Smith Center, but his jersey number is on the front row of the banners in the Smith Center. When you walk in the Smith Center and look up in the ceiling and you see those numbers, those are the national players of the year who more often than not were a part of special teams. 
And I used to tell him all the time, I mean, we can do whatever you want to do. Your number's on the front row. And he used to look at me and smile and laugh and go, you're ridiculous. I said, no, no, you don't seem to understand. If you're on that front row, you're somebody. And yeah. he was somebody. And he brought, you know, and, and look, you, you grow up in the ACC like we were blessed to do, and you are a fan of a school or you support schools. But then when you get to this particular spot in the road, you learn to embrace the history of all schools and you yeah. understand the impact of all schools. Well, you also realize that the list in every sport in the ACC is pretty short of crossing the line of school to school to impact and move an entire league forward. And we can have that discussion one day, and it's a good one. But there is no doubt Lenny Rosenbluth moved this league forward, not just Carolina basketball. He moved this league forward because he was the best player on the best team that beat a legendary team. Did Christian Leighton move this league forward? Yes. Did Ralph Sampson move this league forward in basketball? Yes. David Thompson? Yes. All those things happened. But Lenny Rosenbluth was the first. He moved this league forward at a time when the ACC was kind of still getting its footing. And they went to Kansas City, Missouri and beat Kansas and Will Chamberlain for the national championship in three overtimes? Yeah, that's what happens. So it's a, it's a sad day, but what a wonderful, wonderful man. And again... Our thoughts and prayers to Lenny and, uh, and his family and to the Carolina basketball family and to the ACC because this guy was a major, major star and just a gracious, gracious gentleman, as you said. Yeah, if we got into a debate and you're going to have uh, the quote-unquote impact players of this league in terms of big picture, um, I don't care mm-hmm. who you root for. If you didn't have Lenny Rosenbluth on your short list, you don't know the league. Yep. You don't know the league. Yep. And, and like I said, that, that's it's it. just – Sad to see that, especially after our conversation with him last year. Um, <laughs> and he was just great. I mean, he really was. It was just a yep. joy to talk to him. And that lineage, again, that, that really kind of makes this league special, especially in the basketball. Uh, when you start talking about where the league was when it was formed in the 50s and that impact. And if you watch the great documentary on the tournament, you would understand what we're talking about. And if you haven't, do yourself a favor mm. this summer. If you're looking for just something to kill some time, uh, go check it out because it is awesome. And yep. uh, Lenny Rosenbluth and that Carolina 57 team had a lot to do with why ACC basketball is what it is even today. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Yep. Exactly right. All right, stay tuned. When we come back, two-a-days on deck, the Miami Hurricanes. TVD. Got every arm slot known to man to send the ball down the field. We'll talk to the legendary voice of the Canes, Joe Z is next on Packer and Durham. Packer and Durham. Here's Mark Packer and Wes Durham. Packer and Durham on a Monday. Hope everybody had a good Father's Day weekend. 844-SAY-ACCN is the number for the program. Wes, our two days continue and uh, one of the hot trendy teams in America, whether we're talking about a Heisman, whether we're talking about, hey, they're back, that all that stuff is the Miami Hurricanes, and it kind of does feel a bit different this go-around, doesn't it, for Miami? I Well, yes, and it should, because uh, when you look on the sidelines, it's Mario Cristobal. One thing that stays the same, though, Pac, a constant for the Hurricanes, the legendary radio voice, Joe Zagaki. Good morning, Joe. Good morning. How are we? Hello. How are you? Welcome to beautiful South Florida. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So before we start with the Canes. um, 7.30 in the morning. Wait a minute now. A a day in the life of Joe Zagaki. I mean, once we get done with this television interview, what's on the agenda for today down in beautiful Miami? What, What are you doing? Uh, well, you know, you got me intimidated because it's two a day, so I feel like I need to be studying hard, even though we're you know, three months away from the season. But uh, today, uh, I will be with my lovely wife over on Hollywood Beach, and we'll be on our paddle boards. Hopefully, the will be calm, so I don't fall off a hundred times. But we'll do a little paddle boarding today and have a nice picnic on the beach. 
And then oh, maybe I, take a nap. Man. I tell you what, it, does it get any better than that? Maybe a Mai Tai in both hands or some coconut drink. Some dude just climbed up a coconut tree and top knocked yeah. that thing off and put some rum in it. I mean, you guys are living the life down there in paradise, down there in Miami, man. Somebody's got to do it. He's got to do it. You know what they say? We live where people vacation. That's it. That's exactly right. All right, so let's let's get into this football team. You know, we've seen the hype with Miami before. Whether it be Mark Ricks taking over, you know, we got the we've we've gone through this thing before, right? We've we've been down this road, but now here comes Mario Cristobal. Why does it feel different, Joe, than it mm. has even in the past when people have been fired up about the Kings? I think it feels different because of the commitment. Of Mario Cristobal, the commitment of the administration toward football, uh, the fact that Mario Cristobal understands what the University of Miami is about. He was a guy that was in the trenches. He understands the legacy of the Green Tree practice field. Listen, Mario Cristobal was one of the guys that did a great job against the University of Miami recruiting against them. So he understands uh, the importance of recruiting Dade in Broward County. But if you take a look at his recruiting classes at Alabama or Oregon, he did a great job also of finding tremendous players outside of South Florida. There are great players everywhere. Miami has to find them. So I think it feels different because of the commitment of the university, because of the relentless nature of Mario Cristobal. Uh, he's about recruiting, recruiting, and recruiting. And then, of course, the staff that he put together, an uh, unbelievable staff, uh, Josh Gaddis and Jason Taylor is a, as an analyst. You've got a Hall of Famer, two Hall of Famers, Ed Reed and Jason Taylor, that have these kind of you know off-field roles. Uh, Kevin Seale, defensive coordinator, Charlie Strong, a linebacker coach. So there are a lot of eyes on the players um, and a lot of quality eyes, great coaching going on, and a real solid plan. I think that's why it feels different. Joe, here's the other piece, I guess, that's, that's coming to the surface. You've got somebody at the control now in Tyler Van Dyke, and I'm not trying to diminish anybody else of the last five or six years, but this feels different now. This feels a lot different. I mean, a year ago, we're talking about De'Eric King and all the Heisman hype and things like that, and by the end of the season, no offense to De'Eric King, that was rearview mirror stuff. TVD was here. And it feels like that now from the jump, Miami's got some degree of power at the quarterback spot and pronounced power for the first time in a couple of years. Uh, I would also put him, Wes, kind of in the category of other Miami players. And people wonder, okay, why, why hasn't Miami been uh, the great team of the past? And uh, look, at, look at what they're called, quarterback you, right? We had the great quarterbacks, Kosar, Toretta, Erickson, Walsh, um, of any Testaverde. But Miami hasn't had a quarterback drafted in I, I don't even know how long or a guy playing the NFL. And that would be the case. I think, you know, the NFL shows you what your program is. Miami didn't have many guys or anybody drafted. One guy drafted this year. But TBD got the great arm, great vision, tremendous leader. Look at those numbers of the last six games, six straight games, 300 yards per game, at least 300 yards per game, at least three touchdowns in every single game. His last six games, 20 touchdowns, three interceptions. His final game of the year, 386 yards against Duke. The most completions for him uh, uh, in the season against Duke. And then at the end of the year, uh, his red zone efficiency was incredible for Miami. Uh, he was 16 touchdowns in his last 23 trips inside the red zones. Uh, this year, in spring football, right before the spring game, had a nice conversation with him. And I think one of the things that stood out, um, what he said was, we're 7-5? and five? That's unacceptable. We mm. shouldn't be 7-5 and five here at the University of Miami. And again, when your quarterback is your hardest worker, when your quarterback is your best leader, I think that pushes your team in the right direction. You know, Joe, mm. uh, seven wins. However, there, it, it was one of those what it could have should have, right? I mean, you start talking about the North Carolina, Virginia, and Florida State games. I mean, those were tight. They could have gone the other way. And all of a sudden, you're talking about what it could have, should have, double digit wins. But to get over the hump, I mean, TVD is going to throw it and he's going to have yards. Guys going to catch it. But defensively, this team's got to get better to mm. get to that level, don't they? And again, when Kevin Steele gets named as D.C., you talked about the great staff that Mario's put together. To me, and you're right there in front row seat, I think that is going to have to be the difference for Miami in 22 and beyond is defensively 
they got to get back to taking people out, right? Up front, great defensive backs, linebackers flying all over the yard, and got to be better in the red zone. I mean, that's the difference, I think, for Miami if they're going to get to the next level. Uh, making big plays at the big moments, Pac, I think probably has stood out uh, the last couple of years for Miami, not being able to make those big plays in the big moments, whether it was you know, Florida State, 4th and 14, uh, at Carolina a couple of years ago, had them with a well, fourth and 21, I think it was two years ago in Chapel Hill and didn't make the play on defense. Last year gave up 389 yards a game, 28 points per game. Uh, listen, I know how hard it is to play defense in college football today, but you, you can't, you're not going to win uh, 10 games, I don't think. Maybe Oklahoma proves me wrong, I don't know. Uh, giving up 28 points per game. But to your point, Miami's got to be much better in their front seven. I think they'll be good on the back end with James Williams, Avante Williams, Cam Kitchens on the corner with Ivy and Blades and Porter coming in. It's the front seven that is where Miami has to dominate. And when Miami had their great teams, you know, the Vince Wilforks, the Warren Sapps, Cortez Kennedy, Russell Maryland, they haven't had those kind of players in years. Now, Mario Cristobal went to work hard, not only in recruiting, but in the transfer portal. They've got a guy coming in from West Virginia, uh, an edge rusher from UCLA, a defensive lineman from UCLA, a couple of other linebackers. I I still think they've got to get better at linebacker right now. Uh, The spring ended with Keontre Smith, Waymon Steed at linebacker. Uh, Corey Flagg led them in tackles last year. Uh, But those guys are a little undersized. Miami was trying to rely on speed over size last year. The front seven has got to get better. Uh, Kevin Steele and Charlie Strong have got their work cut out in the air in that area. I do think collectively on defense, those numbers will come down uh, because of experience and because they have overhauled the talent. Joe, I, you mentioned defensively uh, two guys. Tyreek Stevenson is one guy that I think we got to focus on here, right? I mean, a guy who made plays at Georgia, came to Miami last year. He was a factor. He was a presence on a team as a whole that probably wasn't particularly good. Uh, you mentioned the UCLA transfers. Do I want to buy Caleb Johnson stepping in right away for what uh, for what Kevin Steele is going to do defensively at linebacker, or do you think there are other candidates? Because he has some interesting numbers, but he played on a unit. I mean, he was all Pac-12 honorable mention, but is, is he a guy that can come in in your mind and make contributions right away? Uh, yes, because uh, I, I just think uh, – Wes, you look at Miami at linebacker, and Corey Flagg is a really hard worker, smart guy, spends time, uh, hours upon hours, uh, in the film room. Uh, Keontre, uh, Keontre Smith does the same. Corey Flagg, however, is five foot 11, 230 pounds. It's going to mm. be a, uh, a mismatch. Uh, Keontre Smith is five foot 11. He was a safety converted to linebacker. So, Yet this kid coming in from UCLA just gives them uh, more size and strength. And I do think that uh, along those lines, one of the things that Mario Cristobal is going to be doing with his staff is it's going to be more of a profile. And I think as, as time moves on, you're going to see Miami become a bigger, more physical team. I think he's going to recruit to a profile. I think offensive linemen are going to be, you know, six foot four. 325 pounds, whatever that number is. Uh, you know, you take a look at Alabama, just about every position is profiled. I think Mario Cristobal, being under Nick Saban, is going to use that same theory here in Miami. I think you're going to start to see bigger, thicker linebackers uh, for Miami and guys that can become uh, help Miami become uh, more physical on defense. Joe, one month from today, the ACC football Classic gets started. Media days get cranked up. Uh, will you be surprised if Miami is not not selected as the top team in the Coastal? Will that surprise you? Uh, no, it will not surprise me. I fully expect Miami to be picked because they have the guy that we talked about earlier coming back, Tyler Van Dyke. And not only do they have Van Dyke, uh, but they have got – Knighton in the backfield who missed spring football. Brian Henry Parrish from Ole Miss. Uh, Don Chaney should come back. I am concerned uh, at wide receiver, which is hard for me to say for the University of Miami to be concerned at wide receiver. But Rambo 
was so good last year, and so was Harley. Those guys were so dependable, and Van Dyke could just put the ball up in, in you know Rambo's area code, and he was going to go get the football. They've got to find somebody that has that same willingness right. and same aggressiveness on the perimeter. However, Pac, to your question, I think uh, Miami, when they've got a great quarterback and, you know, people start looking at the returning players, the, they become the trendy pick. I've got an awful lot of respect for Pittsburgh. They are the defending champs. They've got to come to Miami this year. The Hurricanes did beat them last year. They beat them two years in a row, which is probably under Narduzzi's uh, skin a little bit. Uh, Van Dyke threw for 426 yards against Pittsburgh last season. Carolina comes to Miami, so Florida State comes to Miami. Uh, so some of the big games, biggest games, are at Hard Rock Stadium now. They do have to go to Virginia Tech right. and Virginia. Miami has struggled at Virginia, and of course, non-conference at Texas A&M. But uh, I, I, I expect a month from today, Miami to be picked in a close shave over Pittsburgh. All right, wait a second. We're talking about throwing the ball. You bring back a guy who's going to be a Mackey Award favorite in Mallory at tight end, okay? Uh, Keyshawn Smith has 30 catches last year. Uh, Frank Ladson, by the way, transferred from Clemson. As he stays healthy, packed. That's a monster on the perimeter. Romello Brinson, every time we saw a Romello Brinson highlight, the one touchdown catch is still unbelievable. Every other catch is like, you know, a wide receiver you candidate on this show. So don't tell me you don't have anybody to throw the ball to. I mean, you can come not, with some stuff, but you got to be you can't, you, you're kidding that you don't have anybody to throw it to. I'm just saying that Keyshawn Smith is the returning, uh, the guy with the most catches returning at 33. Rambo had like 90 last year, over 100. So uh, Rambo and Harley were two really good, dependable guys that you knew when the ball was going in their direction, they they would come down with the football. And they did it every day in practice. And they did it in every single game, every play of every game. Now, Keyshawn Smith, he's got to be consistent down the field. Xavier Restrepo, he's got to become a little yeah. more. These guys have to do it all the time. The talent, the potential is there. Jacoby George, keep an eye on him. You want to see a Miami a guy that's going to stand out and – uh, Wes, you mentioned Will Mowry, and and I love Will Mowry for a million reasons. He is everything that you want in a college football player. He's a great kid, great student, uh, comes from a coach's family, represents the University of Miami the right way. Uh, yes, sir. No, sir. Just wants to do everything uh, the right way. I love Will Mowry. I think he's going to have a big, big season uh, for the Hurricanes but watch Jaleel Skinner. He's a freshman. Skinner is six foot five, and I mentioned a, a profile earlier of how Mario Cristobal is getting guys bigger. When Skinner gets off the bus, you go, you know, your head snaps around. He's going to be a guy that people keep an eye on. Six five, two hundred fifteen pounds. He's a freshman, so uh, Skinner gives them another weapon. They do have a lot of weapons. Got to get better in the trenches. Uh, but I expect them to be an explosive offense, and I expect them to have a lot of balance. I don't know that they're going to throw it, you know, 50 times a game. By the way, that's exactly what people are going to be doing in about uh, 30 minutes from now when you jump on that paddleboard out there in the uh, ocean. And again, keep in mind, the second your big toe hits the water, Joe, you are the visiting team. Even if they know you down there, they know that you are now the visiting team. By the way, schedule-wise, I know you didn't mention the road trip to Death Valley, which will be a big deal in November, but that game at A&M just feels large doesn't it i mean we're sitting in the middle of june feels big for both sides for both a&m and miami just one of those kind of games uh jimbo fisher against the university of miami of course jimbo you know miami knows jimbo very well from his days at florida state uh we miami went out there i think it was 2008 or 2009 it is one of the great spots uh to broadcast a college football game i can't wait for everybody to start swaying back and forth but, yes, that is a titanic collision, and Miami has to start winning those games now. When they played A&M back in, uh, in 08 and 09, Miami won both games out there and, and here. Um, I think that game was at the Orange Bowl, as a matter of fact. Uh, but A&M's got a great team, great size. Uh, Jimbo will figure out his quarterback position. Uh, got the transfer there from LSU. So um, that's going to be a monumental challenge 
uh, for Mario Cristobal and his staff. I'm sure they'll be ready. Nine o'clock kickoff. All the ingredients, uh, everything that you want will be in that game. And uh, certainly that would lead a big, uh, give Miami a big leap forward to come away with a victory there and uh, also help the reputation of not only Miami, uh, but the ACC. Yep. Hey, Joe, enjoy the paddleboard. Great to see you. We look forward to catching up in Charlotte next month. I'll see you guys in Charlotte. Thanks a lot for having me. Go Canes. You bet. Two a days with Joe Z. Uh, when we come back, more of uh, more football talk coming up. But also on the other side, the Clemson baseball coach joined us at the end of last week. Eric Backich is the new skipper of the Tigers. And we will talk to Coach in case you missed it next. The Packer and Durham Podcast. This is the Packer and Durham Podcast. Wes, the uh, folks down in Miami obviously fired up. The coach Cristobal is in town, take care of business. And I think Clemson baseball fans kind of feel the same way as far as their baseball program goes. Absolutely. Yeah, no question. Eric Backich is back as the head baseball coach 20 years ago. He was a volunteer assistant on a Jack Leggett team that went to the College World Series. The next year, he was off to Vanderbilt as the head coach, as an assistant with Tim Corbin, who became the head coach. So we asked Coach, in case you missed it, what's it like to be back in Tigertown? Well, that was it. You know, 20 years ago, it was my first opportunity to start coaching, and I just have such a deep appreciation and gratitude for getting so lucky to be on Jack Leggett's staff with Tim Corbin and Kevin O'Sullivan and that team that we had in 2002 that won 54 games and was ranked number one in the country for most of the season and finished in the top four in the World Series. All of that just really anchored in my mind that, you know, this is, this is just a dream job and it's a place that someday I would, I would hope to, to be at. So I just feel very fortunate uh, to get to, to lead Clemson baseball moving forward. You know, Eric, here's the thing, and I just mentioned this with Pac a minute ago. Uh, you had one year. And then you followed, you went with Tim Corbin to Nashville, where great things happened at Vanderbilt for him and still continue to do so. Then you got an opportunity to, to kind of rebuild Maryland and then Michigan. It feels like there have been purposeful steps along the way in your coaching career, uh, maybe all connected in some respect, but at the same time, uh, very meaningful directive steps in your career. I think you're exactly right. You could certainly draw the strengths from every stop along the way. And uh, at, at Vanderbilt with Coach Corbin, just learning how to recruit at the highest level uh, under his tutelage and uh, learning how to shift the target onto total person development, not just physical player development, uh, but what it meant to create leaders in the community and develop future husbands and future fathers. You know, at, at Maryland and Michigan, it was, uh, you know, we may not have had the facilities at Maryland. We may not have had the weather at Michigan, but it was just ways to really sharpen your, your tool set uh, and not never make excuses, but use what you have to the best of your ability and get very creative as a coach in order to achieve success. And a place like Clemson has no excuses. Everything is here. The infrastructure is here. And I'm just really excited to put it all together and help these players reach their potential and help our teams reach its potential. Eric, that's where I was going to go with you. That you know, the rebuild at Clemson is very different than what you experienced in College Park and Ann Arbor. And the fact that you've had a, a taste of it before, you, it's it's not like you're walking in going, "Wow, look at this! I didn't know we had this." You, you kind of know the lay of the land in some respects, even though it's been 20 years. What do you think the first thing, though, is to rebuild a Clemson baseball program? Because I said earlier, the standard of baseball at Clemson is a big deal. People worry about it 24-7, 365. It's a sport that matters. So what's the first step for you moving forward? Well, I don't know if I would use the word rebuild. You know, they're great, they're great players on this roster. And you look at Max Wagner as the ACC Player of the Year last year. And, they, you know, Clemson was just so close uh, last year from getting into the tournament. When you get into the tournament, anything can happen. I think Clemson is, is a place you just reload. And, um, and the, the tradition and the history and everything here is set, the infrastructure is set. So right now, step one is a needs assessment of just where can we maybe, uh, what can we do from a recruiting standpoint? Before that, it's finalizing a coaching staff. Uh, but Clemson baseball is, is not a rebuild. 
it's a reload and we are going to put some pieces together so that we're competing for ACC and national championships uh, right away next year. A little bit more thumping that ballpark now, Eric, than there was. I mean, it's still, you know, a house of horrors for a visiting team, but there's a little bit more atmosphere and environment and, dare I say, brick and mortar around that thing. I've been blown away. Doug Kingsmore Stadium was always awesome, but walking into it yesterday, at first I felt that the tidal wave of just memories and emotions from being here 20 years ago, and then I turned into kind of a fanboy looking around just – eyes open, jaw open, just the facilities, the amenities, the stadium, the outfield seating, the cages, just I can't wait for the Clemson family and Clemson faithful to pack that place out, set attendance records, and that looks to me like the perfect environment to host regionals and super regionals. I can vouch for it as an alum. Uh, I've always said it. If you don't have smoke somewhere in the outfield, you're not a real big-time baseball place. And uh, you can find some smoke in the outfield, some great food. And like I said, that fans care. It's one of those sports where, you know what? Hey, recruiting matters. I know that's your bread and butter, and I know folks are going to be excited about it. But it's a place that cares. If you're playing a game on a Tuesday night, it'll be packed. They're ready to go. It doesn't matter if you're playing roast beef A&M or if you've got a top five team rolled in there. And I'm sure that's one of the things that that was a hook for you, too, that, hey, I want to be your place where everybody cares and talks about baseball all the time. And you certainly found it. I, I looked at the schedule. I didn't see roast beef A&M on there, but um... – <laughs> They should care. The fans should care. This is Clemson, and the standard is the best. The standard is excellence, and you see it in all the other sports. And I'm I'm here in the football building right now, looking around again, being a fanboy. And I mean, just but that's that's what has been created here. The the Tiger Paw is now a global brand, thanks to Coach Sweeney and his staff over the years. Clemson baseball tradition is second to none. And, uh, and the fans should care because they've seen a lot of good baseball over the years at Clemson, and, uh, and there's no reason why we can't be competing for championships. On your mark, get set, go, West Tiger baseball. Coach thinks they're ready to roll it, yeah. 22-23. Well, Max Wagner certainly helps, right? And uh, you get another talented group of recruits, and that's the one thing Eric Backage did at uh, Michigan was build from recruiting. Uh, When we come back, baseball is going to be a big part of our two because it highlights the best and worst of the weekend. The wards are starting to roll in for Link Jarrett, and he's not the only one walking around wearing a medal. And what in the world is this? Back with more. Packer and Durham, hour two on a Monday on ACC Network. Packer and Durham.